Welcome to the ArchMI Podcast, featuring our senior customer trainer, Blaine Rita. Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, or ArchMI, is a leading provider of mortgage insurance, or MI, in the United States. Our competitive pricing tool, ArchMI RateStar, is the leading risk-based pricing platform in the industry, providing rates based on a thorough understanding of the underlying risk. Here's your host, Blaine Rada. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Blaine Rada with ArchMI. I'd like to share some perspective based on my 30 years of industry experience with mortgage lending, but I very much appreciate and value the time that you're investing to listen today. So let me tell you a little bit about what you can expect in these podcasts. First of all, everything that I speak about is really designed to do one thing. It's to help you separate and differentiate yourself from the competition. You know, borrowers have so many choices today and where they can get a mortgage loan. It really has become very difficult to stand out. And everything that I plan on sharing with you is really based on how can you do that effectively. You're also going to notice that these podcasts are not scripted. So they're very conversational in nature. And that's really like the way I like to communicate. Probably makes our legal department a little nervous because they're never quite sure what's going to come out of my mouth. But hopefully I'm not doing or saying anything that uh, would get us in any type of trouble. I certainly don't think I will. Um, But, you know, that means there's going to be some pauses and some ums and maybe my retracing my thoughts a little bit. And I hope that you're okay with that because I just don't like reading from a script. Also, I tend to be a high content speaker. And what that means is that there's really going to be a lot of information. So whether these are 15 to 20 minutes long or 30 to 40 minutes long, there's going to be a lot in them for you to digest. And my sense is that, you know, when people listen to podcasts, myself included, you're often multitasking. You're doing something else like driving in your car, going for a walk, working out at the gym. And that's a great way to spend that time. But you're going to find that you may want to go back and and re-listen or pause and make some notes because there really is a lot of information that I plan to share with you. These will not be lightweight by any means. And it's also really important, and I start off every podcast with this, that you understand my overall kind of worldview when it comes to sales, because I'm, I'm really speaking to salespeople, um, although much of what I say is appropriate for, for other support staff as well. But you, you need to understand my worldview as it relates to sales, and, and I can really sum it up in one sentence or one statement, and that's that selling is not about getting the sale. And I know I might have lost a couple of you right there as soon as I said that, because you're thinking, well, what's the point in my listening to this if I'm not going to get more sales? I'm talking about the focus of your efforts. When the focus is on getting the sale, making the deal, right, getting it done, um, that tends to make us behave in ways that we wouldn't normally behave. If instead our focus was on how can I be of service, how can I establish if I'm the best fit for this borrower, for this consumer. And my belief is that if you focus on how you can be the best fit, or if you are indeed the best fit, by by default, you will get more business than you probably know how to handle. And so uh, I'm not suggesting that it's not about making sales. I am suggesting that the focus should always be on service and what is best for the consumer. And in the act of doing so, you'll make plenty of sales. So today's topic is about communication, and I'd like to talk a little bit about how to communicate with impact. Now, I consider myself a professional communicator, and all that means is, you know, I speak for a living. I talk for a living, I write for a living, I record for a living. So communication is probably more important to me than it would be your average person. But here's something that I've noticed about communication over over the last several years. We're taking it very casually. 
What I mean by that is not that we speak or write or communicate casually. I actually think that's a good thing. I like the fact that we're not so formal in our communication and that we can just, you know, relax a little bit and just talk to each other. But what I mean by casually is that we don't think about it. We don't really give it any importance. In other words, as I'm sitting here recording this, I'm, I'm breathing. You know, my lungs are moving air out of my, out of my body and in, into my body and my heart's beating. But I'm not paying attention to any of that. That's just happening, right? I don't have to focus on it. And sometimes I think our communication is like that too. We just do it. We don't really think about it. It's not very intentional. And while most of the time, that's probably okay. In other words, it's not like we have to be super focused on what we say or what we write every minute of the day. But the challenge is if, if, our, if our sheer nature, if our habit is that we just take it so casually that we kind of almost discard it, dismiss it, don't think about it, then what happens when we have that moment, when we have that opportunity where communication really needs to be significant? It, reads, it needs to be important. There's a lot riding on what we have to say then we lose the ability to, to do it well because we just aren't in the habit anymore of doing it well. And so while communication may not be as important to you as it is to me, I do think it's something we can all get better at. And I think that you'll agree that one of the things that people will complain about when they do business with you is anything that comes up that could be classified as a challenge with communication. If there's anything that wasn't clear, if there's anything, anything that wasn't communicated properly, people will actually be upset about that. And so it, it is to our benefit to make sure that we communicate as effectively as possible. You know, communication is supposed to serve a purpose, right? It's supposed to achieve an objective. Let me, let me make a statement here. I think that probably the most important type of communication in terms of clarity, it has to be clear, it has to be perfectly understood by everybody that sees it, would be the communication that's on traffic signs. I mean, think about it. You're driving down the road, sometimes quite quickly, and you pass a sign that is giving you some sort of instruction, some sort of, some sort of law, perhaps, and you have to be able to know exactly what that means. And everybody has to all agree who's driving past that sign. This is what the sign means. So I would tend to think that the people that make these traffic signs are very intentional about the words that they use, and they never have a lot of space, right? You've noticed that these signs don't have a lot of room for words. So let me just share a sign with you that I came across recently. I was driving home from the gym. And I was in an area that I wasn't that familiar with. And as I was pulling up to a red light, I saw a sign. It only had six words on it. So ready? Here are the six words. Right turn on red, strictly enforced. Right turn on red, strictly enforced. Now, let me share with you what the law is in Illinois, where I live. It's probably similar to the law where you are. If you want to make a right-hand turn on a red light, you're permitted to do that, assuming you come to a stop and it's safe to do so. Now, the only time you can't make a right turn on a red light is if there's a sign that says you can't. So if there's a sign there that, for instance, says no turn on red, well, then you can't turn on red. But if there's not a sign telling you you can't, you can. Now, I consider myself to be reasonably intelligent. But when I saw the sign that said right turn on red strictly enforced, I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what that means. And I'm the first guy at the light. I'm the first guy at the intersection that wants to make a right-hand turn, and I'm not moving because I don't know what it means. Now, there's a long line of cars stacking up behind me. It's actually the morning rush hour. There's this long line of cars stacking up behind me in all kinds of various ways. They are trying to tell this guy, me, what they think the sign means. You can only imagine how they do that. But I'm still not moving. Even with all that peer pressure, I wait for the green light. Yes, I was one of those guys that held up the whole line. But when I got home, I called the police. You know, I'm a curious person, and I, I wanted to know, what does this sign mean? 
And as it turned out, they weren't really sure. Now, I am not being critical of law enforcement in any way, but what I'm saying is there's a challenge there if six words on a sign create confusion as to what you're supposed to do at an intersection. There's a quote, I believe it's from George Bernard Shaw, that's along the lines of this. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. And I think that's what happens to us all the time. We put words out there, we speak them, we write them, we text them, but we really don't know how they're being received, if they're being understood. So with that as a backdrop, I really wanted to just share with you a few ideas today that would hopefully help your communication to be more impactful, to serve the purpose that it's supposed to serve. And so I've often been asked, hey, you know, Mr. Communication Man, you talk to people all the time. You're very careful about the, your word choice and trying to express yourself clearly. What's one thing that I could do? I've actually gotten that question many times. What's just, just one thing? Just tell me one thing that I could do that would make my communication more effective. And we're defining effective as it achieves its purpose. And so I've actually thought about that. I've thought about if there was just one piece of advice that I could give people, what would that be? You ready? Because I've come up with something. Here's the one piece of advice. And if you just do this one thing, I can guarantee your communication will be more effective. Here's the one thing. It's profound. You're going to have to wait for it here. It's to simply think before you do it. What? That's it? Think before I do it? Don't I think all the time? You know, I don't know that we think all that much when we're clicking reply, when we're frantically replying to an email or a text or leaving a voicemail message or responding to a call. I mean, think about it. How often do you take the time to kind of reflect on what you want to say? We just do it, right? I mean, come on, Blaine, this is just what we do. We just communicate all day long. That's fine most of the time. What I'm suggesting is that if you want your communication to, to serve its purpose, to really be effective, there, are, there will be times when you've got to give it some thought. You've got to give yourself permission to not reply right away, to compose your thoughts, to think about how you respond. I mean, hey, I'm sure you've done what I've done, especially if, if there's emotion involved. Uh, you know, you leave a message or you, you talk to someone in the heat of the moment and you say things that probably didn't make sense and that you wish you didn't say or you didn't say it in that way. So what I'm suggesting is not that we walk around all day thinking about our communication, right? That would be exhausting, but that you at least develop the skill of being able to think before you speak. That way you've got the skill there when you need it. So if we don't think, yet it sounds like we should, right? Everybody would probably agree with that statement. We should think before we communicate. And by the way, I'm talking about communication in all of its forms. So I'm talking about speaking and writing and all the various ways that we write, you know, texting, emailing, any type of communication this really applies to. If we don't think a lot before we do it, why is that? Is there a reason? Because it's not intentional. I mean, I'm sure all of us are sincere. We all have the intention of being good communicators. So why don't we? I've thought about that too. And I have a list. There's three reasons. There's three reasons I believe that we don't think before we communicate. One is that we're distracted. I don't know that we've ever been more distracted than we are now. I mean, just think about it. So many voices so many screens right, between your phone and your, your tablet and your laptop and your desktop and your TV and all, all of the things that are kind of shouting at us for their attention. Um, we're, we're very distracted. In fact, how many times are you just alone with your thoughts? 
I'll bet you have a hard time even figuring that out. Like when, when was the last time that there was no, no distraction around you? Nothing that you were looking at or listening to. You actually were just sitting or standing or maybe even walking, but doing nothing but being alone with your thoughts. For many of us, those are, those are days that we kind of fondly remember, but don't feel like we have the time to be that way anymore. So that is certainly one of the reasons why we don't think before we communicate. We, we're distracted. And so it doesn't give us the ability to be alone with our thoughts, much less to think carefully about what we want to communicate. The second reason that I believe we don't think is that we're multitasking. Now, please do your own research. You don't have to just take my word for it. But if you do just a little bit of research, you're going to find out that multitasking is a myth. Multitasking is a machine term. It's what computers do. The human brain does not multitask. Just think about it. The human brain has not changed nearly as much as our technology has. I mean, just think about how, how much technology has changed in the last you know, couple of decades. Do you think the human brain has actually evolved so much so that it's kept up with all these changes? I mean, we, we have evolved some, but it just doesn't happen that fast. So multitasking is a myth. Here's what the human brain does. It focuses on one thing at a time. Its primary focus is on one thing at a time. This is backed up by neuroscience, by the way, and neuroscientists know more about our brains now than they've ever known. And so I'm not saying you can't think or do more than one thing at a time, but I'm saying your primary focus is always on one thing at a time. So what that means is that you're switching attention from one thing to the next. When you're doing two, three, four things at a time, you're simply switching your primary attention from one thing to the next. So take something as simple as driving down the road while you're on a phone call. And of course, today, if you've got a fairly new car and a, a modern smartphone, it, it's Bluetooth technology. You don't even have to hold on to anything, right? You can literally just have conversations with people while you're driving down the, driving down the road. I think that's amazing, right? That's great. I can accomplish two things at the same time. But think about what your mind is doing while you're doing that. So if, for instance, something starts to happen up ahead of you on the road, like you're entering a construction zone, or it starts to pour down with rain, or you have to carefully figure out where you need to get off the highway, is your exit coming up? When those things are happening, you're kind of just half listening to the call, right? Because you need to focus on the road, right? So you're not really paying that much attention to the call. Conversely, if you're in a moment in the phone call where it, you're really engaged, you're really paying attention, it's super important that you focus on this call, then you'll probably miss your exit because you really weren't paying that much attention to the road. So this isn't a good or a bad thing. It just is what it is. So what I'm basically saying is we no longer, well, we never have multitasked. We multi-switch. You're constantly multi-switching. Well, it's kind of hard to take the time to think about something when you're constantly going from one thing to the next, right? All right. So problem number one, reason number one as to why we don't think well before we communicate is that we're distracted. Reason number two is that we're multitasking or really multi-switching. And the third is a word that you might have never heard before. It's called procrastination. Yeah, that's right. Procrastination. Procrastination is this idea that everything is urgent. Everything has to be done right now. And I'm telling you, this has become a compulsion. This has become not just a habit, literally an addiction that many of us have where we just feel like everything has to be done right this second. Now, again, technology, and I'm not, I'm not putting blame on technology. I'm just trying to explain how this happens. Technology has kind of fueled this. Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but heck, I already said I've been in this industry for over 30 years, so you kind of know how old I am. 
um, although, you know, child labor laws were much different when I got into this business. Think about, you know, back in the day when you, you know, almost didn't have a computer at work. And let's just, I'm just going to use an example from my own life. I was an underwriter and I had to contact the borrowers for additional information. I could then put that file in a drawer and not have to look at it again for a couple of days. Why is that? Because they're going to mail to me what I asked for. So maybe I needed a letter of explanation for something on their credit report or wanted to know why they had two or three jobs in the last year. They're going to mail that to you. And so you've got a few days, depending on what part of the country they're in and where you are, you've got some time, right? Well, then the fax machine came along. Now, the fax machine today is considered ancient, you know, ancient history. It's, a, it's an antique. But the fax machine changed everything because you could call someone up and say, hey, I need that letter as to, you know, why there's a $14 million deposit into your account. And they could send it over right away. So minutes later, this explanation letter is coming over the fax machine. And of course, they're on the phone saying, did you get it? Did you get it? Did you take a look at that yet? And so it started like accelerating how fast we have to get back to people. Now, the fax machine, again, that's ancient. Now it's instantaneous. Now we have email, texting, right? Technology that is instantaneous. Seconds go by. And that's all that it takes to get from place to place this information. So it kind of has elevated the the anxiety, if you will, the expectation that, hey, I sent it to you. Why am I not hearing back from you? But honestly, is everything urgent? I mean, really, is everything a fire? I don't think so. I think it's in our heads. I think we have this expectation that just because I've sent something to somebody, they should be immediately replying, which is kind of ironic if you think about it. Because one of the beautiful things about texting is that you could text someone whenever it's convenient for you, right? So you could text someone at two o'clock in the morning if you can't sleep, or you could text somebody on a weekend, even though it's a work-related thing and they really shouldn't be doing work on the weekend, let's just say as an example. Um, and yet, even though we're doing it when it's convenient, we seem to have this expectation that as soon as they've sent it, they ought to be replying. <laughs> so it's kind of goofy how we've gotten ourselves into this mental trap, and I call that procrastination. Uh, my wife, just as an example, my wife has this as it relates to texting. She has a very difficult time not replying to a text immediately. So imagine if your cell phone is always by you, and I heard a statistic not long ago that for most Americans, 24 hours a day, their cell phone is like never more than four feet away from them. So if your cell phone is near you and you get a text, chances are you're doing something else, right? And who knows what you're doing, but it could be anything. If you feel compelled to stop what you're doing and reply to the text, man, that's procrastination. Now, I hear, I hear the resistance. I can actually hear you resisting what I'm saying. And this is what my wife would say. She'd say, look, if I don't get back to these people right away, I'm going to forget about it. Like the text will come in. If I don't reply right away, then I might just forget because I'm doing something else. And then hours go by or a day goes by. And then I remember, oh my gosh, I never got back to that person. And you feel badly about that. So she just feels that for her own productivity, for her to stay on top of things, she needs to reply right away. But what that means is the two of us could be sitting down watching a movie, you know, on a Saturday night at home, just relaxing, enjoying some rare time together. And the phone's going off because somebody somewhere is trying to reach her for something and so now I'm pausing the movie four, five, six, eight, ten times so that she can reply to a text, right? That's procrastination. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not being critical, and I'm not telling anybody how they should live their lives. And, and trust me, I deal with these issues personally as much as anybody, right? So if you think, oh, this guy Blaine, he's got it all figured out. He, no, no, no. I struggle with these issues. That's why I can speak to what they are. But I'm just identifying them for what they are, right? 
All right, so distracted, being distracted, uh, dealing with multitasking, procrastination, all of these things I think make it harder to have, I'm going to use a word here you may not be familiar with, harder to have a conversation, which leads me right into the next thing I wanted to tell you. Because one of the things that our communication needs to accomplish, if you want to be successful, especially in sales, your communication needs to demonstrate empathy. And I don't know how you can demonstrate empathy without being good at the art of conversation. By the way, research proves this out, right? This isn't just Blaine's opinion. I've tried to figure out how do you demonstrate empathy? Is there research that's actually been done? And there is. And when you look at the findings of the research, empathy is best demonstrated by being skilled at conversation. But, but think about how we do business now. It's not even in person most of the time. So many times we're communicating with people. We're not face-to-face. We're not, you know, we're not physically in their presence. So let me just first of all pause and, and describe empathy because that's a, that's a really powerful word. In fact, I, I, I think that might be one of the most important words, especially if you consider yourself to be a salesperson, that you need to fully understand and embrace. Empathy is not the same as compassion or sympathy. See, you can show compassion and sympathy, but it's not empathy right? So here, here's, here's what empathy is. It's not just saying, I feel for you. It's saying, I feel with you. Here's the difference. Um, if somebody's explaining to you that they're having challenges raising their teenage children, and you've never had children or you don't have teenage children, I mean, you can kind of sort of feel badly for them because you can imagine what that's like. So you might have sympathy or compassion for that person, but you don't really have true empathy for someone unless you've raised teenagers. And I grant, I understand, you've never lived someone else's life exactly, but the fact that you've raised teenagers yourself would give you a level of empathy that you wouldn't have if you had never raised teenagers yourself. So what I'm suggesting is that when you're talking with people, find those ways where you can connect, where you have shared experiences, because that will allow you to show a level of empathy that only you and others who have those shared experiences will be able to express. And when you do that with a person, they feel heard. They feel understood. And we all want that. We all want to feel heard and valued and understood. And the way that that happens is when someone shows us empathy. And the way you show empathy is to be skilled in the art of conversation. So let me just pass along a resource for you. There's a great book called We Need to Talk. That's the title of the book, We Need to Talk. Now, there's probably more than one book with that title because you can't copyright the title of a book. So the author's name is Celeste Headley, Celeste Headley. And uh, she's a professional radio interviewer. She's done a TED Talk. So if you're familiar with those, you can certainly look her up on TED. Um, But she's written this book that's really about the art of conversation, and it's filled with tips and suggestions. It's a very easy read. It's not like an academic, you know, piece that's going to take you a long time to get through. But I, I really think that no matter how good you are at communicating, at being skilled in conversation, you will pick up some things in that that I think will be will be enlightening. Now, the other part of having good conversations is being skilled at asking questions, and that is an art. We are not born with the ability to know how to ask good questions. So that's a skill that we can all develop and get better at. And really, frankly, if we're talking to someone, that's what we should be doing. We should be asking questions. We should be more interested than interesting. That's important, right? That when we're talking to people, we should be more interested than interesting, You know, you go to a networking event and you think that your goal there is to make connections and 
stand out somehow. And the way you stand out in a networking event is to ask questions and listen to people. It's not to talk about yourself. Because the most fascinating person in a room is the person that hardly spoke at all, but they asked everybody a lot of questions and were sincerely interested in them. Because people like to be heard, right? People like to be validated. So we won't get into those skills today. Maybe that's a topic for a future podcast. But certainly, you know, being skilled at asking questions and, and being a, a good listener are, are skills in and of themselves and go a long way to demonstrating empathy. Um, here, here's one suggestion I can give you for listening. Because again, we've heard this before, right? Like, oh yeah, I should be a better listener. Got it, got it, Blaine. I've heard that like a hundred times in my life. Again, why don't we? Because we're listening to respond. Most of the time when we're listening, we're listening to respond. We're not listening to understand. So we're hearing someone, but in the meantime, we're anticipating where they're going and we're coming up with our response before they've even finished talking. And again, part of this is the whole procrastination problem, right? Because we feel like I don't have the time to sit here and just listen to you. I need to come up with my response so I can get on with my life and you know, I got things to do, right? The best listeners are simply listening to understand and then they, fo they formulate their response. They're not trying to think of what to say while the person is still talking. All right. So I think that's probably a, enough to chew on for, for one episode. Let me, let me give you some key takeaways as I see it. We kind of started this podcast talking about the importance of good communication, right? And that we we tend to take our communication very casually. And again, it's, there's nothing wrong with being casual in your communication. The challenge is if you just don't take it seriously and you just kind of slough it off as, oh yeah, sure, I send out emails, I, I reply to texts, I, I talk to people all the time, I don't really give my communication much thought. I think that's that's a mistake. I think we can become more skilled at communicating. And we talked specifically about how to do that, right? The one suggestion I really wanted to highlight was think, to simply think before you do it. Not every single time, not all day long, right? That would be exhausting. But just develop that skill of being able to press pause, right? To, to avoid those things like distractions and multitasking and procrastination, press pause, give yourself a moment to compose your thoughts before you click reply, right? Before you click send. You know, sometimes you'll call people and you'll get kind of caught off guard because you, you get their voicemail. And so what I'm suggesting is, you know, maybe it's not the best time to leave the message. If you're caught off guard and don't quite know what to say, that we end up kind of rambling on for two or three minutes, leaving some incoherent message. So go ahead and hang up the phone. Think about what you'd want to say, knowing that you're going to get their voicemail, and then call them back and leave the message. And now your message will be much more understandable. And of course, we talked about empathy, right? Being, being good at the art of conversation, being good at asking questions, being an effective listener, truly connecting with people is really what empathy allows you to do. Wouldn't it be cool if you actually were known for being someone who talks in such a way that people want to listen to you and that listens in such a way that people want to talk to you? That to me would be like the ultimate level of achievement when it comes to communication, where when you talk, people want to hear you and... When they talk, you know, they know that you're going to be listening because they know that you're a good listener. Okay, so I always have a call to action at the end, and they're the same three steps. I want you to take a step. I want to make sure that this uh, roughly half an hour that we've spent together is not just an interesting use of your time, but that it's actually meaningful. It creates some sort of change, some action on your part. So please, by all means, don't just listen to the information and do nothing with it. Try on an idea, see if it fits you, change it to your liking, but do something with the information. We don't just need to spend 30 minutes together. I want this to actually have an impact. Second, tell a friend. 
I'm a big believer in share good ideas. If you find these to be valuable, spread the word, pass them on to coworkers, heck, pass them on to competitors. I think we can all grow the pie and have more business for all of us if we stop focusing on how we compete with each other and ele- elevate our skills a little bit, right? So share, share, the, share the news, share the wealth, so to speak. And finally, talk to us. You know, let us, let us know how you like these. You know, talk to your account manager. Um, let us know what we can do to serve you in any way. You know, Arch Mortgage Insurance is, is obviously a PMI company, but we're really here to help you grow your business, to help you do more business and to do better business. So any way that we can help you do that, I hope you know that you can always contact us and let us know how can we be of service? How can we bring value to you? And of course, any feedback specifically about these podcasts would be welcome. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in feedback. The only way that we can get better at what we do is when people tell us how we're doing. So that's it for this podcast. I hope you found that your investment in time was was valuable, that you got a good return on that time. This is Blaine Rada with ArchMI. Thanks for listening. Arch Capital Group Limited's U.S. mortgage insurance operation, ArchMI, is a leading provider of private insurance covering mortgage credit risk. Headquartered in Greensboro, North Carolina, ArchMI's mission is to protect lenders against credit risk while extending the possibility of responsible homeownership to qualified borrowers. ArchMI's flagship mortgage insurer, Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, is licensed to write mortgage insurance in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. For more information, please visit archmi.com. ArchMI is a marketing term for Arch Mortgage Insurance Company and United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. All rights reserved.